welcome to The Solve Network. I'm Shane Borza, host of the podcast. Along with my co-founder, Benjamin Goss, we'd like to welcome you. Our mission is to provide solutions and create a network of experts for you to learn from. We hope this episode and expert helps you to learn, grow, and move forward. And now, on with the show. Scene one, Apple, take one. Hi, I'm Shane Borza, your content creator coach. I have two books on filmmaking, Film Notes, where you learn to write, direct, and produce, and the Film Notes Workbook, where you can learn checklists and paperwork to streamline creating your content. Available at shaneborza.com. I also have filmmaker resources like the Paperwork Bundle with over 300 documents, the Sound Effects Bundle with almost 3,000 files, and the Music Bundle featuring 900 tracks of all genres. Want to build your professional credits? Become an associate producer and get listed on IMDb. Let me help you get your art out into the world. Scene one, Apple, take one. Let's see, do we have any questions? <laughs> yeah, I have a, a couple questions here. And Latasha, you're nodding your head, so why don't you jump in? So my question is, have you ever done any work in, within the public school system? That is an excellent question. Um, the answer is no, not yet. Um, what do you have in mind? <laughs> well, it's funny because um, I'm, a, I'm a law school dropout. And I just dropped out of teaching to be an entrepreneur. And one of the reasons why I dropped out of teaching is because of the toxic work environment. And there basically was like, uh, figure it out. You're an adult. Good luck. Mm, excellent. <laughs> excellent. Yes. Um, uh, absolutely. Have you considered uh, getting trained and doing some dispute yeah, resolution? Definitely. Okay. That's something that would be a passion for me because I really believe in helping people solve disputes. I was always the teacher that was like in the middle and uh, I never really knew how to facilitate those types of conversations. I just kind of naturally went with the flow, but I've been thinking lately, like we need some type of system where if there's a problem, could be a student, a parent, a teacher, somebody in the school environment, like there's never anybody that sits in and says, hey, guess what? We should listen to all sides. And we have our teachers union, but they don't get involved with member to member issues. And I had a situation where I was being attacked by another coworker and I went to the union. They said, sorry, we can't help you. It's a member to member. You have to go to your supervisor. Well, my supervisor was involved in it as well. So she was not partial or professional. So I had to go back to HR and say, I need help. And they were like, we don't know what to tell you. You guys are adults, figure it out. So long story short, it all worked out, but many of us got transferred to other sites. So it, avoidance, lots of avoidance. Lots of avoidance. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, and that's what, and that's what happens. Uh, a, a lot of times people get transferred out, people get terminated, people get, get paid a severance. I mean, and all of these things, uh, a lot of times, not saying forever and all everywhere, every single time, but about 80% of the time, some of these things can be worked out. Um, people just want to be heard. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. That's and it. <laughs> I, I stayed at that school site and the next year, 
a brand new administration came in and they knew the issues that were going on and they sat us down and had a conversation and said, what's going on? And it was resolved <laughs> just from them sitting and asking what's happening here because they were brand new. So it was like, oh, you're, you're here to listen. Oh, okay. Much mm -hmm. more peaceful that year. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I have certainly heard stories, other stories of um, educational, um, both higher ed um, and elementary and uh, pretty much every, everything, private schools, public schools, charter yes. schools. This is, this is a common, this is a common situation. And I just feel like it's not a priority for training because they don't get the return on investment. They right. just don't realize, but yeah. when you count in how much it costs to recruit and train new people, uh -huh. only to have them leave midterm, end of term, one year, I, it's it's amazing that, um, you know, they just don't put two and two together. Yeah, there's not enough. Well, there's probably enough research, but there's not um, anyone sitting down with these school administrators or superintendents saying, hey, look at this you have a high teacher turnover. What's the problem? Like nobody, they always just say, well, you know, help that teacher, help her. But it's like, no, you got to help the system because we exist within a whole system. We're an organism. We're an organization. Like you got to address all these issues. And it's like, oh, well, sorry, figure it out. You're an adult. <laughs> That's always a response. You're an adult. You have all your resources. You have all the resources, exactly. And it's it's like, yeah, you're missing some of the big ones. You're missing some of the big ones, and they're missing some of the big ones. And mm -hmm. it's just a it's a blind spot. It's really just a blind spot um, that nobody wants to admit. Nobody wants to shine a light on. Nobody wants to look at. Uh, and I guess that's why I do as much outreach as I do. But yeah, we should definitely have a, another conversation yeah. around this and see what we can do. I'm interested in the whole certification process and how you get trained to do it. And it's very intriguing to me. I took the, um, what is it, the Myers-Briggs <laughs> and I came out with uh, the protagonist was my person. I don't I remember the letters, but I just remember the protagonist because I'm a writer. So when they said protagonist, I was like, oh, I can accept that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's interesting. It's, it's a very interesting thing when you were talking about the assessments. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, that they have an assessment for like conflicts. Like I never heard of that. So that's pretty cool. So, yes, several, several. And I, I knew I could certainly tell you exactly that I'm, you know, I was an avoider. I was a peacemaker growing up, you know, I was always smoothing everything over, you know, ruffled feathers. I was there with, you know, the lollipop and the Band-Aid. Um, and I totally knew that was not, um, but I took another assessment. I don't remember which one it was, but I came out um, as that with the ideal career as translator, which blew my mind. I have over the years studied five different languages other than English and do not speak any of them. Oh. <laughs> it did not take. It was not my thing. I really just was not going to be a linguist or a multilinguist. But I started thinking about it. And I think that is actually what I do. It's like I listen to someone and then I put it in the words the other person can understand. Yeah. And I'm like, 
I get it. All right. I'll buy it. <laughs> so you are a translator. I am a translator. Uh, I also uh, translated well when I was when I was practicing law. Um, some of the other other attorneys just, I don't know, could not explain it in plain English to the client. And I always went out of my way to say, this is what is going on. You know, this is not, they, you know, they don't know when you go to, go to court and you have all these papers all in a foreign, basically foreign language, legal, legal ease, and you're doing this and you're doing that. And you don't, know if you're the respondent or you're the party that's respond, you know, I mean, you don't know by the time it gets all mixed up and jig- jiggled around, you're really not sure what's going on. And one of the things that I always did, you know, completely off the, off the books was make sure that they understood what was going on in the legal process. Um, and that's just not, that's not the nature of lawyers. It's yeah. Like we're, you know, we're very proud of the language that we speak and very, you know, it took a lot. It took a lot to learn that and to to put in the time to be recognized. Um, but in order to be a better advocate and to be a, a responsible attorney, I believe that you have to have that common touch as well. You have to really make sure that your client is heard and taken care of. Well, thank you for what you do. Thank you. That's awesome. Well, I'm going to jump in. There's a question here in the chat. They're wondering, what is more common, helping employees and colleagues work things out or helping the managers become better at managing the conflict on the team? Ooh, um, okay. Let's see. Typically, I'm hired to work with the leaders, the managers. Um, I would love to work with them, with people at all levels. Uh, I think it is effective for people in conflict, um, you know, or just just new on the job. Let's just get like somebody new is coming in or a new group is coming over. It's like, let's just get together and do some play conflict. Let's do some healthy conflict. Let's see. Let's see how we would respond and work together on something where the stakes aren't as high as something going completely awry. Um so I would love to do that. But generally speaking, the, the, the investment goes to, to the leaders. Um, I'll have to look into that more because if I could find a way to bring it in at, uh, let's just say, a lower level, it might actually be more effective and then have it go up kind of, <laughs> kind of osmosis up uh, to, the, to the leadership. That's, that's, that's a great question. So to piggyback on that, I worked for a large corporation for almost a decade. And when you were talking about the, especially the mediation where you you bring people in to kind of be neutral between these two parties. So I was one of the managers and and came up from an employee in a non-union shop and then watched it become a union shop. And it was really interesting to see how that was handled because it seemed like they had all these protocols of like, well, we, we can and can't do certain things and we can and can't say certain things, but within the parameters or or confines of, of what we can say, we're going to really try to not have it go union as far as like the leadership went, Mm -hmm. you know? And of course the reason that 
because the, the union got voted in. And the reason for that, of course, is because the majority of the employees had complaints. So I'm just curious if that is anything that you have gone into as a mediator uh, and or have you gone in to kind of help as a like conflict resolution style either you know leadership so that way they're they're trained on like how to handle that if the employees do bring it up or maybe it kind of didn't work for the leadership and the union did come in and then they're kind of like oh we better hire somebody to help us figure out you know for the next time how to do things better so uh i know there's kind of a number of questions all in one but just uh, any experience you have on any of those matters i'm just really curious yeah, I, I mean, I would welcome the opportunity. I have not uh, been in a situation with a union. Uh, I do know some uh, mediators who specialize and, and actually exclusively work uh, in union disputes. So I think that's um, that's just an area that I'm not uh, experienced in as to, to get to, um, to answer the very small part of your question or the very direct part of your question. Uh, to work with people... I guess you had said there had been a lot of complaints and that's why they were entertaining voting in a union. So that would be probably the spot that I would come in like before that, like if they were starting to organize like an employee rights uh, group or an employee communication group, that would be something that um, I feel that would be a good, a good time to at least get in and have some talking points um, and see, and see if issues can be addressed uh, internally uh, before, you know, before they end up in a collective or a collective um, bargaining agreement. So there's a couple of questions here in the chat. Do you have any top do's or don'ts that you would recommend maybe people aren't familiar with for conflict resolution? Top do's and don'ts. Um, I guess the biggest do is keep an open mind. Uh, pace yourself, make sure that you uh, are taking care of yourself. You know, your well-being should be in check. Um, don't make decisions when you're highly caffeinated or highly sugared. Uh, sometimes that can be to uh, a very bad decision and you're like, who was talking when I said that? Um, so try to be as prepared as possible so that you know what the goal is and keep the conversation moving toward the goal. Um, people that are less prepared will start with some low blows and you throw in some sarcasm or passive aggressive behavior. And you want to be, you want to be ready for that. You want to say, you know what, that's probably what's going to happen in this conversation. And I'm going to be the better person and keep it on target and positive. Yeah, those are really great. And going back to the, the corporate gig that I had, I saw a lot of meetings in the boardroom where people came in and you could just tell they've been drinking coffee for like four hours and they were so fidgety that it, uh, whether they were agreeing and, and into what people were talking about or not, it seemed like they just like wanted to get out of the room. And so it made people, it kind of really colored their participation in the discussions and in the meetings. And you're just like, oh, they, you know, they can't even sit still. They won't look at me. Like they're not listening. And I'm just like, I watched them have like six cups of coffee in four hours. Like they can't sit still even if they wanted to. So, uh, so I think sometimes it's, 
it's detrimental to the person, but also the reactions that people have to them. Yeah. That, but uh, the, that I think is a small thing that people wouldn't necessarily brought up. So I think things like that, uh, people may not have thought of. So I think that's a great recommendation. So next is, are there any particular books, blogs, or articles that have easy to digest information that could help people who aren't as familiar with conflict resolution or mediation, you know, get to be more familiar with these ideas? Absolutely. Um, I would start with getting to yes. Uh, I think that's Fisher and Yuri, U-R-Y, and um, also Crucial Conversations. I think that's your, your beginning um, written, for, written for general audiences, so it's not a lot of technical stuff. Um, also definitely look up Thomas Kilman, uh, the Thomas Kilman modes uh, online. Those resources are, are readily available. And I don't know. Uh, <laughs> those are definitely a good place to start. Um, I'd be more than happy to send you some more resources or a list of resources or have a, a separate conversation uh, about more of the training that I've had and more of the resources that I do have. Well, I also have the, I put the links in for like uh, DISC and Myers-Briggs and some of those other things you mentioned earlier. So mm -hmm. I can, I can put those together and make a, a good list out of that. But I, I think as, especially the uh, crucial conversations I've never heard of. So I, I think that'll be a good resource. And in the notes, I'll, I'll put a link into those books so people can look them up and check them out. Uh, so I'm interested to know this one. So uh, how do you know when you've made a difference with the company? Hmm. Check back. Uh, follow up and I mean, glowing testimonials is, uh, are always amazing. Um, I do something, I, something I learned early on, um, the hard way, actually, someone was implementing a plan that we had co-developed and then our contract ended. And I was like, wow, it was like a cliffhanger. You know, it was like the movie going, uh, the satellite going out the second, you know, it's like, I love you. Do you love me too? And then like the cable goes out. It's like, so now I always build in um, regular checkups uh, into after I work with work with clients. Yeah. So so is that like a, a post like a survey or a questionnaire like a, like you mentioned the exit interviews mm -hmm. and I know that when I was in corporate like that's one of the things they did you you filled you had your exit survey so is is that kind of what you're talking about? I do use surveys a lot, uh, and I, I also like to be personal if possible. Um, if I can get 30 minutes of somebody's time, I can really feel, get a feel for what's really going on. Um, so I do. So yes, I try to, I try to schedule as many in-person appointments, not actually in person, but on the phone or on Zoom um, appointments to follow up. All right, okay, cool. Latasha, do you have anything else you want to jump in with? Um, I just, I'm glad I'm here. This is very interesting. This is something, I mean, I can't believe people aren't concerned about this. This is like the most important <laughs> thing because I think the best resource are your human resources. And mm -hmm. there's so little time and energy and focus spent on avoiding conflicts you know it's it's like we don't want to floss and brush but we want to go get the root <laughs> canal right 
Like we're so focused on reacting that if we just sat back and thought about the possible situations, we could avoid a lot. And if we just sit down and listen to people, like Daya was saying, she just listens and, and is able to echo back. This person is saying this, this person is saying that. It's just like being a translator. So I'm excited. I'm glad I came. Thank you for this information. Yeah, I'm glad you're here. I know it 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 surprises me and other people who are like me um, every day how much of a crusade this is, has is had to be. Um, so much education and outreach. Um, you know, I've been involved in outreach for different organizations that actually put on free mediation and free conflict resolution services, and we hardly ever get anyone taking up taking up our services. It's insane. <laughs> it's yeah. insane. insane. So, um, I, you know, I don't know. We just keep plugging away and doing what we can. Oh, I do have another question because I know other teachers like myself that would be awesome as mediators. And so um, how is it that you go about getting clients and getting contracts? Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of outreach, um, things okay. like this, going on podcasts, um, p- publishing things on LinkedIn, uh, publishing things on on Facebook, even, and um, doing a doing a lot of outreach. So I'm a member of uh, several organizations that are trade organizations, and we publish rosters. We contact companies that have said, uh, for instance, that they would use diverse neutrals. So we provide them a list of diverse neutrals, which in so doing also reminds them, hey, you know what? You know, you can hire a neutral. You don't have to hire an attorney uh, for certain things. So just kind of keeping that drip campaign going, keep reminding people that we're out here. Um, certain places have a, a court a court set up, like a, pre, a pre-court mediation where literally back when we were in person, the mediators were out in an annex and they would come in and say, hey, does anybody want to mediate this before you sit here all day and wait for your court case to be heard? Smart. Uh, some, some places, some jurisdictions actually do have that. Um, some places have it where they they contract it out to uh, some nonprofit organizations. Uh, schools uh, a lot of times do have ADR clinics, and so they work in tandem with the small claims um, courts in their jurisdiction. Um, as mediation is is also very popular in family law. Um, I don't do family law; I only do civil cases. Because uh, it's a whole other language. Talk about learning a new language. Yeah. It's a whole new language. Um, yes. And, and so I feel uh, to be a mediator, you do not have to be an attorney. And I feel this is, this is my personal disclaimer. This is, this is opinion of me and me only. I feel that some of the non-attorney mediators, uh, maybe ones who have come from social work uh, or other fields, yeah, I, I feel they're suited. They're well suited for the family, the family law arena. Mm-hmm. Um, for civil, for civil, I think attorneys as well. I mean, if they can get their mind around, hey, we're really actually trying to resolve this, not prolong it. They have the technical expertise that's that's needed in civil cases. Again, completely my opinion. <laughs> completely my opinion. So if anybody takes offense to that, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's just yeah. yeah. Everyone's entitled to their opinion. Uh, yeah, yeah, and and I mean to be, I mean to be inclusive and explanatory as to as to why I feel that way. Yeah. Well, to go back to something you said earlier about the that kind of dissenting, you know, the, 
13th man from it, it was funny as soon as you said that I was like oh it's like World War Z <laughs> so it was great that you brought up World War Z because I, uh, I was like oh I'm right there with you uh, but I, I think it's because uh, I, I would have assumed that you need to be or come from that background and so for you to I think it's really important for you to say that in your experience you found that some of the people that don't cover that background can be met because then it'll enable people to maybe think about, oh, maybe I can go into that. Whereas before, I think a lot of people would self-select out and say like, well, I'm not an attorney. I don't know anything about law, so I can't be a mediator. And they might be the best people to do it. So I think it's really important to have people know that sometimes the outliers can come in with a different perspective or or they're not kind of taught, like you were saying earlier, your translator. So they're, they're not taught a certain language like legalese. So they are able to understand and, and say things to people in a way that they can understand and be heard. And I think that's a, that's a very important point. I have a couple other questions and I'll make sure we get a chance to answer them. So let me just jump in to this one. I've heard it said that when someone's released from a company, 80% of the time, it's a failure of management to properly address either the behaviors or the issues. Would you agree with that or not and why? Oof. Um, I have, I've heard that. I, I'm not going to, I can't say, um, uh, since I've done primarily construction related cases that are contractors and not employees, um, I can't actually use my own experience or my own data to comment on that. Um, but I mean, if they're hearing it, it probably has some validity to it. Um, I guess I would, I would ask a, a, a question back as to kind of like, what's the, what's the basis for, for wanting the information? Um, and if it's so we can train managers to be better people, uh, or to have better communication skills, um, I'm all for that. So certainly if that's something that, if that feedback is out there, if those statistics are out there, um, that's a great place for, uh, human resources, consultants, uh, trainers, conflict trainers, um, like myself, conflict coaches, um, people like us <laughs> to actually go in and say, Hey, you know what, this is, this is costing your organization and it, you, it's worth, worth investing in, in some actual work around that. Well, this might be a good, good follow-up or kind of like a, a part two to that, which is if a manager or leader has a hard time holding on to people, how does one begin to address that issue? Yeah, it's it's um it's hard for folks to look at the mirror sometimes. Um there's an old saying that if the um, it's like there's a jerk in every group and if you don't know which one it is, it's probably you. Um it is it, you know, it's hard for people to look at the you know, at themselves really hard. It's it's just not human nature. It's more human nature to say, you know, my environment caused this for me, or my employees are just a bad employees. Like, you know, why can't they find me somebody that can do this work? Uh, versus actually saying something like, you know, I have a lot of turnover on my team. What can I what can I be doing to you know, improve that, improve that? What what skills can I learn to foster a better team? And you know, people are overworked and stretched thin and putting out fires and they don't think, 
they need to they need to react and they're in that reactionary cycle and they don't often have time or think they have time or make the time to be proactive and say oh i need to help with the hiring decisions you know maybe somebody else completely is hiring people and they think they're the best people for the job um, or they may be hiring people and they think they're going to come in and the ground's running, but every company is different. Every culture is different. Every project is different. So they may actually be really skilled project managers, but this may be something totally that they're totally new with. They don't know the vocabulary. They don't know the clients. They don't know all the nuances, but the leader just does not have time or won't make the time to bring them up to speed because they have different expectations. Yeah, I think that's very important. The thing I saw, especially in, in corporate, is that uh, not just on teams, but between teams, a lot of times someone in this team over here will say like, well, if, if the other team would get their act together, then we'd be <laughs> able to do stuff, but we can't because of them. And of course, the, that team is saying the same thing about either the team that's complaining about them or some other team. And especially in a big corporation with a lot of different departments or even separate buildings or separate campuses. So I was in LA and we, I mean, there was like 17 locations in LA. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they, you know, they all have an HR, they all have management, they all have this, they all have that. But some of them also only had like, oh, the such and such department. Well, they're at that building. They're not in this building. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of miscommunication because you're not seeing each other. It's all done via email or phone calls. And uh, there was a lot of that blaming. And it was very interesting going into management because then you're you're not just in your group. You go into the, the bullpen and there's like somebody from each team. And then you start to go like, oh. Now that I see like 20 people representing 20 teams, the perspective I had from working in a department is now completely different. So is that something that you see being uh, helpful either in conflict resolution or um, mediating issues? Is it sometimes just that people are blaming either other teams or other people? And once they realize it, then it can help to resolve some of those issues? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the I mean the company uh, people have to foster that culture on every level, uh, and I totally agree. And and this remote working has really pointed that shown a spotlight on on that where people have to actually make an intentional connection point with someone else um, on another team, whereas before you could you know whatever walk across the street to the other building or you could go into the bullpen um and have those to kind of strike up those conversations um so it's been harder for people who have more of the avoiding or accommodating style to actually make appointments with the people they need to talk to. Um, they used to could just walk by their cubby and, you know, say, Hey, I'm on my way to the coffee room. Will you walk with me or something like that, where they could actually just have a human kind of physical togetherness conversation, uh, with no, you know, hey, I'm calling you or I need to make an appointment with you or I've put a meeting on the schedule. That kind of puts people in defensive mode a little bit. Like, you know, are they talking to me? Um, so it's a, it's a little bit, you have to really go a little bit more out of your way to disarm um, people when you're, when you're having these conversations where you really just want to foster communication 
Um, but people through this have needed a lot more, a lot more connection and a lot more touch, um, not physical touch, but a lot more like just, Hey, how you doing? Kind of calls so that they're not, so they're open. So that you're creating an open space. You're creating a safe space. You're like, so I'm calling up like, Hey Shane, let's just touch base. How are you doing today? You know, how's, how's the weather where you're at? How's the family? You know, what's going on? Okay. All right. Well, awesome. Well, you know, later today, I'm going to touch with base with you on project XYZ, but I just wanted to call and see how you're doing, you know, and just leave it at that. And just call, call some of the other team people and call, just kind of see, or like, is anything on your mind? Is there anything on your mind? You know, we don't really need to talk about the project right now. We can make an appointment to do that later, uh, you know, this afternoon or something, but I just want to check in and see how you're doing. So, yeah, but yes. Oh, and the blame game. Yes, of course, human nature, the blame game. Um, definitely. It's like, oh, you know, sales oversold and manufacturing can't deliver. Yeah, manufacturing said, no, we didn't get the order on time. And then billing's like, no, we didn't get the payment on time. And uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> it's, um, like a, it's a it's like hot potato, you know. It is. I mean, you get back around at the beginning and then they're like, hey, wait a minute, how did that end up with me again? Yeah, I, um, I can't... Uh, I would love to quote it, but I read so many books. But there's one guy, oh gosh, he took over this company. He was brought in as a CEO, an outside CEO that came in, and he started doing these meetings. And so the heads of all departments met every Thursday morning at like 8 o'clock for an hour, and they just did... They did name, rank, and serial number, and what's my report? And so everybody knew where everybody was. And, and they hate, some of them hated it. Some of them quit. They said, we're not doing this. And they quit. And then that company, though, went like skyrocketed. They like turned the thing around. It's a whole, I wish I, I wish I could quote this better, but um, I'm just, just pulling it off the top of my head right now. But um, just amazing how teams that, it's not amazing. It's, it's pretty obvious, actually. The, the teams, when they're talking to each other and they're checking in on a regular basis, like a very regular basis, move forward. Move forward with um, a lot less hiccups. <laughs> well, and that, and that seems to be something that is, I, I, maybe on the surface, would seem super valuable, but it's kind of like being in a mastermind group or something. You know, you're having that accountability. You have to come in and say where you're at, whether you're doing well or not, and checking in on a regular basis, you know, on a weekly basis, like Mm -hmm. like you mentioned those Thursday morning meetings, that could be super valuable to not only go in and celebrate the win, but also kind of keep you on track to be like, oh, I got to make sure this is done because I don't want to go to the meeting on Thursday and feel like, it's just two weeks in a row now or whatever it might be. So yeah, I can see where, where some people might not like that at all, but even if you don't, I can, I think it would be very effective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I got a couple other uh, questions popping in. So um, you mentioned early, and I think this is something again, that if, you know, we all have things that we know and the things we don't know. And so like, I, I'm an expert in like mind and body fitness and, and quite often, you know, people say, Oh, I want to get fitter. And I'm like, okay, well, Fitness is really broad. Uh, what do you mean? <laughs> so I, it was really interesting for me to learn more about how like uh, conflict resolution, mediation, and arbitration are like all different things. And I've heard all those terms, but I didn't really know the difference between them. And you mentioned that you don't need to be an attorney to get into mediation, but I'm just wondering, can you speak a little bit more about 
what the requirements are to get into mediation or get into arbitration if somebody was interested in pursuing those? Sure, absolutely. Um, so uh, mediation and alternative dispute resolution uh, as a whole field is not a regulated industry. Uh, so, sort of like the coaching industry. So not a regulated industry. So there's there's varying degrees of where you where you are and where you can become registered or certified. And uh, so basically, if you're interested in mediation, I would definitely take a 40 hour basic mediation course. Um, that's sort of the, the bedrock of it. Now, can you walk out tomorrow and print business cards and become a mediator? I don't recommend it, but it can be done. Um, sometimes that happens when you are when you've already been, say, in the ministry or you've been a social worker. Um, so you have the background, you have people skills, people come to you already to resolve issues and they trust you. Um, however, please do the 40 hour and get E&O insurance, uh, errors and emissions insurance or professional, whatever professional liability policy um, that, you, that you need to get. Um, it's worth it. It's totally worth it. Um, I've done well over 200 hours of training uh, in mediation and ADR and um, don't regret it. Um, the work that I've done with uh, my peers uh, has just been, has really led to lifelong friendships and, and colleagueships and um, it's really worth it. Um, arbitration is an interesting animal and it's is usually made up, the arbitration rosters are usually made up by uh, either retired judges, um, people who have practiced or are practicing law, or subject matter experts. So a subject matter expert could be in finance or construction. Um, you could come up through the ranks in that direction. So you have some sort of subject matter expertise. Uh, and generally speaking with an arbitration, if you go through one of the panels, um, such as AAA, the American Arbitration Institute, I mean, I'm sorry, Association, um, you will have a panel of three arbiters. Um, you can hire a private arbiter and it's just like one arbiter arbitrator, um, one person. So um, I do also do arbitration work and I can be hired as an individual arbitrator. Um, it's just not, it's just not as common to go direct to arbitration. Let's see. Uh, yes. And that also was a two, two different things I was, um, I did in order to get admitted to the FINRA roster, uh, the financial uh, services industry. They, that is a regulated industry that requires members of FINRA to go to your stockbroker. If you work in a brokerage as an employee, you cannot sue the broker. You have to go through the FINRA arbitration process. So I went through that. And then I'm also a member of Chartered Institute of Arbitrators, which is based in London. It's an international organization. So Yes, I would invest in some training and decide which route you want to go and um, just start getting a following and making a name for yourself. So uh, two last things, and that was very helpful. Thank you for explaining that. What would you say is the difference between team accountability and personal responsibility, especially in terms of conflict? 
Oh, love it. Um, oh, it's phrased as a difference. Oh, what's the difference question? Um, I don't really think of it. I don't really think of it as a different situation. You should always be responsible. Um, I don't know if you've heard of in a relationship dynamics or the the question of, say you're in a romantic relationship and you're like, okay, what's who's responsible for the relationship? And most people go, well, each person is 50, 50, 50 responsible for the relationship. Or you can say, oh, well, some people have different views of it. It's like, oh, well, the woman is the most responsible to keep the relationship. Oh, the man's most responsible for the relationship or whichever partner in whichever union you have. Um, you have to look at it as you're hundred percent responsible. Each person is a hundred percent responsible in the relationship. You own the relationship and in the relationship, you're, you're either, um, you're either fostering the relationship and making it grow. You're killing the relationship or you're just letting the relationship die. So this is the same with teams. So you're either breathing life into your team you know, you're doing your work. Great. We're at work. You have your work that you have to do. And then you have the work that contributes to the team. It's not, your work is not done in a vacuum. So everything keeps the team going. Everything keeps the organization going. No job is a small job. Uh, everything counts. Everything is part of the system. And so if you are hundred percent responsible to your job, your team, your company, your organization, the success of the contract, then that's where you, that's where you need to be. Um, not sure if that answered the question. <laughs> uh, that resonates very strongly with me because one of the things that my, my grandmother taught when I was younger, I actually used this in one of my battles in my wedding, was that, that marriage isn't 50-50, meaning you each do half. It's 50-50 in that whenever one of you needs the other person to do everything you do, but you also allow them to do everything but you can't. So it's this kind of sliding scale of some, it's like a seesaw or a teacher totter, you know, it's, it's no fun in the middle. It's, it's just up and down and up and down, you know? And so um, that it, it's a little different, but um, yeah, I think you're right because if you have a relationship whether it's a working relationship or you have a client or something, um, and they're just like, we're done. You know, um, they can just decide that it's over whenever they want to because they have the power to continue or end that relationship whenever they want. And uh, I think that that is something that in in certain circumstances, like with a client, for instance, uh, people will be like, oh, it's uh, well, obviously the client wasn't happy, so they left. Mm. And that seems logical to people. Uh, and yet, if, I think if you put it into like a romantic relationship, a lot of people will be like, uh, you can't just say that and decide for us because th- I think that they would believe more of it is a 50-50 and it's, the you know, um, but, but really all relationships, like you said, are like that. Um, you know, people can walk into the office and find out like, oh, we're letting you go today, you know, because mm-hmm. they, they have 100% responsibility, they can just do that. But the employee, employee can do that as well. And I... Uh, I saw people just throw their hands up and just be like, I'm done and just walk out. And everyone's like, what can they do that? <laughs> it's like, well, mm-hmm. yeah, they can. Uh, and it is kind of shocking, but I, th- I think it's very interesting when you can give people certain circumstances where they go, Oh yeah, that makes sense. And in other circumstances, and they're like, that doesn't make sense, but it's the same. So I'm really glad that you brought up both the, you know, the team, the job, the company, the, the home, uh, 
that that is, I think, a very important distinction for people to understand. So that was a, a, a great way to put it. Like I said, it resonated with me, but I never would have mm -hmm. said it in that in that way. All right. So I have a last question before we're going to bring things back to you and what you have coming up. How does someone bridge the gap between the group problem versus uh, something that that they can do personally that might be able to change the results? So I guess like yeah. the me versus the we. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, there has to be a me before there's a we. Uh, to, I guess, to use more of a relationship analogy. So using your own strengths um, and acknowledging your weaknesses as you go forth in a team. Um, keeping, you know, keeping the goal in mind, keeping, keeping what your responsibility in mind is uh, and taking care of yourself and being authentic and, and use, using your skills, using your skills to, to the you know, the good of the whole and to the good of good of your job. Like, you know, be authentic, be you and be the best. Sorry if that sounded slogany. <laughs> no, no, perfect. Yeah, that's great. Uh, so as I as I mentioned, I always like to make sure we kind of throw the ball back to the speaker so to so so to speak. So I'd love to know, do you have any uh resources you really want to show people or let people know that are uh you would recommend? Do you have anything coming up you really want to invite people to take part of? Or do you have anywhere that you really want people to reach out to you or maybe see something you have, whether it's an article or a course or anything like that? Yeah, I'd say definitely follow me on LinkedIn. Um, LinkedIn is the little village I live in these days uh, now that we're all remote. Uh, so the, definitely follow me there. Um, on my page, the successpartner.com, um, I do have my upcoming events. Uh, so right now I'm running some programs for women uh, professionals and also some programs for change for um, career changers. So I'm kind of responding to the need of my audience. So those are not uh, not conflict specific topics, although they could be <laughs> they could be related to conflict. They're more in the leadership coaching realm um, and the coaching around. Uh, basically designing your life and identifying your skills and where you want to be um, in the next few months or next few years, uh, either way, either way around it. Um, I am putting on one of the four hour, I'm co-leading co a four hour Thomas Kilman basic workshop on May the 11th. Um, so that will be Zoom and uh, it's a lot of fun. So it's the second time I've done it on Zoom with, uh, with this facilitator and um, we have movie clips and lots of breakout activities and uh, it is a lot of fun, uh, as fun as <laughs> playing conflict can be. Uh, so that's, that is a lot of fun. And um, if someone wants to get it certified for continuing education for their organization, I'm happy to apply for their specific organization uh, for that. So just let me know. I think it has to be in at least 45 days before the event. Um, yes, and always available for uh, a one-to-one. -one. So just give me a, give me a call, uh, click a booking link. Uh, there's one on my site and on, I think, and on my LinkedIn page. And yeah, let's have coffee and talk. So thank you all. And we'll have you on the next call soon. Hey, my name is James. I'm a lawyer who's always been interested in optimal human performance, and that's how I found Shane. If you're looking to upgrade your mental and physical fitness, then the Ultimate Performance Course is for you. It's the key to performing better at work, at home, and in all of life's challenges. I've also found it to be a great community of like-minded and supportive professionals. As Shane says, together, everyone accomplishes more.
Want to have your ultimate performance or find out more about how to optimize your mind and body fitness? Contact me at shaneborza.com and see if the DIY or the group program would be best for you. Thank you for joining us on this episode of The Solve Network. These interviews are from our web series of the same name. Want to watch? Head over to YouTube and search for The Solve Network. If you have questions, you can reach out to me at shaneborza.com. On behalf of my co-founder, Benjamin Goss, we're glad you are a part of the network and hope you are finding solutions. If you need solutions, please reach out.